0: Before we start tonight's episode, I wanted to take this time to thank our patrons. They have supported us through our three preview episodes and, well, just the development as a whole. And I personally wanted to thank you for that. It has been an absolute roller coaster, fun time, arms in the air, funnel cake, woo, throw beer on the guy in front of you time. It's been a blast. Thank you. Without you, this probably would have been a lot harder. So, with that being said, this episode is brought to you by Kathleen Clyde, Arthur Unk, Brooks Bigley, Amy Nikolai, Jacqueline Coles, Charlotte Norup, Victoria Wan, Sergio Saucedo, Scott Savino, Mary Wynn, Justin Thulu, Maria Herrera, John Dillavu, John Murphy, John Grills. Well, apparently we're pretty popular with Johns. I don't know. And of course, always, Siren Aside. Again, your support of my dream and of our efforts is mind blowing. I really could never put into text or words how much I truly appreciate you. Thank you for being a patron. Thank you for believing in us. And thank you for making this first episode and every episode possible. If you would like to become a patron of The Grey Rooms, visit patreon.com forward slash The Grey Rooms. And another way to help us, why don't you go ahead and click a five star rating in your current podcast directory? Leave us a review. We love to read them. And thanks again. Oh, and enjoy the episode. You wake on a hard, cold floor. So cold, it burns your skin. The air smells of sulfur and ash. Your head throbs. Your mouth is dry. You have no idea how you got here. Panic sets in. Fear becomes terror. What have you done? What brought you to this place? It doesn't matter because now you belong to The Grey Rooms. Up on a concrete floor. <coughs> my head was pounding, and my lungs... it, it felt as if they had forgotten how to breathe. I couldn't remember where I was or how I got there. It was so cold. I saw a door across the room and I reached for it. The the door behind me closed by itself. I turned around as quickly as I could, but the door. It sounds crazy, but it, it just wasn't there anymore. There was just a concrete wall. Help! Someone help! What's happening? Nobody answered me. The room I was in was identical to the one before it. There was a light bulb flickering almost spent, and one of the corners was a table and a chair. They looked like they had seen better days. I had seen better days. (coughs) I felt like shit. (coughs) I looked down at myself and noticed a uniform. Gray shirt, gray pants, no shoes or belt, and they provided little warmth. There were two doors facing me, and I approached them. The first was made of wood, it was old and made of oak. Studs ran parallel down its length. It wouldn't open. The goddamn door wouldn't open. I stepped towards the second door. I heard something as I tried the second door. It sounded like s- singing. It was beautiful, the voice I heard, but also s- strange. Be honest, the voice terrified me. I, I don't know why. I tried turning the handle, but that door was also locked. I had goosebumps. Now there was something wrong with this door. The, the singing just kept getting louder. Help! Please, God! I can't get out of here, and I, 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 I need to get out. Was I a, p- a prisoner? Was this all some c- kind of s- strange misunderstanding? Who was I? Wh- wh- where was I? Why, Why couldn't I get out? Why did that door disappear? Why couldn't I remember? Choose a door, Raymond. I can't. They're locked. Help me. Who, who are you? Why, why am I here? P- please help. I, I don't know where I am.
1: Choose a door, Raymond. The keys on the table.
0: I couldn't see the source of this voice. I presumed that it was behind one of the doors. I looked around to the battered table and chair and sure enough there was a key there. Just one. A skeleton key. I see it. Which one do I pick? One door
1: leads to your salvation. One door leads to your torment. Choose She's one for you, Raymond.
0: Raymond. That's my name? Raymond? It didn't sound right to me. Maybe I just didn't like the name. I couldn't remember. But that voice... I I don't think I'll ever forget it. It didn't sound human. And and I don't think it was coming from one of those doors. He said that one of the doors led to my salvation and the other to my torment. I didn't know what the hell he was going on about. Riddles, right? Th- that's what they were. They just looked like normal doors to me. The first one, old and wooden. The other metal, and there was that singing again when I approached it. It felt... No. Something was very wrong with that door. Sometime today, Raymond. I didn't like it. This whole situation. I wanted to get out. What was this person playing? Did I do something wrong to him? What was through these doors? Was it was it safe? I didn't pick the metal door. I couldn't. The key fit into the wooden door and I opened it. There was light. An all-encompassing light that enveloped me. It's... It's beautiful. Is this my salvation? Tears streamed down my face as I felt warmth at last. Is this it? It has to be... Yeah, it's heaven. three.
1: When Fritz decided to say hello, the whistle was distinct before it was down on us. And the shell hit, but wasn't immediately blown to L rain down onto our heads. Sergeant Blythe was yelling something that I couldn't hear. I had me back against the rear parados with my rifle extended. There was mud caked on the tip of my bayonet. My tongue clicked in disapproval as I'd just cleaned it. I just cleaned the rifle too. Fritz enjoyed ruining what would have otherwise been a quiet morning. More shells came down. And the sound of gunfire, screams, and of troops readying their rifles on the fire steps. We were waiting for the Germans to arrive. I hadn't had many hours of sleep and my boots were sinking into a fresh mire of thick, squelchy mud. A sudden memory from when I enlisted came to mind. I tried pushing it out of my head as my hands shook and my blood frothed in my veins. Try as I may, The memory of a sign I encountered in Blackrod continued to fade into existence. Come into the ranks and fight for your king and country, it raged. Don't stay in the crowd and stare. But I was in the crowd. And I was staring. We all were. We knew eventually that every one of us was going to watch the other die. Eventually. Whether it be from a sniper or disease, whether it be from a shell or Fritz in a sap, plunging a knife into your gut at night, we knew. We knew. Fritz never came. The shelling had stopped. Their machine guns were still firing. We heard rifles popping and plenty of shouting. There was chaos on the other side of no man's land, no doubt about that, but Fritz never came. After a while, we lowered our rifles and listened to the sound of battle from across the parapet. Private Merton was using a parachute to try to make sense of it. He did so for a while. But whatever he saw only prompted him to shake his head. They're fighting somebody, he said. <laughs> Sounds like our lads are giving him hell, too. I wonder who it is. Stay focused, Merton, Blythe growled. He'd been silently inspecting us during the sudden lull in combat. Clean that shit off your gun, Kinsley. You think Mud's gonna win the war? No, Sergeant, I said with a wince. Maybe if the scrap had actually happened, I would have gotten out of that one. Merton must have tried an idiot looking over the sandbags and barbed wire. A shot suddenly rang out and smacked into the barrier. Merton made a startled outcry as he threw himself back into the mucky trench floor. I think we all heard the drumming of his art. I offered a man and helped him to his feet. Merton, get over here. Kinsley, take his place. Blythe barked. We heard him giving the private an earful as they walked down the zigzagging trench and away from the rest of us. I took in a long breath and stepped up to the line. We didn't hear the Germans shooting anymore. Whoever attacked must have been repelled pretty fast. I lit a tab and sucked on it thoughtfully as I watched the other men on the line. Some of them are new, but there are plenty of new faces these days. The worst parts about being on the Western Front were the moments when nothing happened. I frowned at my bayonet as I removed it and swept it a few times across my trousers. My stomach growled as I reattached it and took a peek through the parish and myself. Quiet. There were false alarms and strafes before, but something didn't sit well with me on this one. London's a basket case, I heard someone say. I didn't bother looking. Landon was young. He was the sort of lad who believed in king and country more than any of us. I wondered if what was left to return home would be received as a hero. Part of me doubted it, but who was I to judge? At least he had a ticket home. My stomach growled again and reminded me it was almost breakfast. If it wasn't for the tea, the biscuits would bust our teeth. Dinner was even better. Bully beef. Tins and tins of bully beef. We ate it because we had to, to survive. We tortured our stomachs day in and day out, only to cop it like Landon. Poor lad. 16 years old. My God, Landon. That crazy bastard. He just wanted to abandon the safety of the crowd, kill the Hun, and save the world. I inhaled, allowing my lungs to fill with smoky fire. The stand too was uneventful after the shelling we took. Fritz must have had its feel of blood for the morning. running into Private Merton again at breakfast. He offered me a dog biscuit with a wry grin, <laughs> and I slugged him on the arm. I asked him if he was trying to kill me. <laughs> he thought it was funny enough for a moment, and perhaps remembering his near dance with death turned grim. Somebody is, he murmured. Somebody always is, I suppose. Everything okay up here? I nodded. Landon. Six others. I didn't know the other guys. You see Gary anywhere? Private Buller was a bit of a special project of mine. We were mates growing up in Blackrod. Both our dads worked in the mines. We went to the same school. And I guess I can't think of a time when we hadn't been chums. Gary, well, he wasn't doing so well these days. Some called him a coward. Others said it was shell shock. I think he saw some shit and his brain just didn't know how to deal with it. They wouldn't send him home though. They said that he was still fit to fight and that he was aware of his surroundings. Something like that anyway. I'm no doctor. Maybe it's true. Merton nodded his head towards his right. Gary was standing by the back by the trench digging a hole. He had latrine duty again. He always had latrine duty what he liked to do. The ambulance might have him to continue fighting, but the sergeant had a more practical view for Buller. I was grateful for that. There were a lot of things to be grateful for on the Western Front, but I was happy that Gary had a better chance of making it through this shithole.
0: Over there, Eddie. Between you and me, I think he's getting worse.
1: I put a hand on Merton's shoulder and walked over to my old friend. Bet you are wondering what all that fuss was about earlier, eh, Gary? Gary had been mumbling something incoherent to Merton and me. As I grew closer, I could pick up the utterances of two sentences being expounded from his lips. God is great. God is good. God is great. God is good. God is great. God God, is good.
0: God is great. God God is good. God is great.
1: He repeated those words over and over again, as if it were some kind of mantra. I asked Gary again if he'd been wondering what all the fuss was about. He continued digging the latrine for a few moments before he stopped. I could see sweat dripping off his forehead. He wiped his brow with an arm before shaking his head. No. Well, you're lucky you weren't on the front line today, that's for sure. It's pretty boring. Gary's eyes never attempted to reach me. He stared at the hole of thick, wet mud he was punching through. It looked as if he had a giant spoon and was trying to dig his way through a pool of chocolate pudding. Or shit. I chuckled to myself as I considered the fact that this was Gary, the master of latrine duty. So it was most likely shit. If not, it certainly would be. Looks like you're having all the fun. What a hand. No. I'm fine, Eddie. Just go away. I clenched my jaw with feelings of frustration that I didn't really understand. I just wanted to help him, but he wouldn't have it. Behind me, Merton was watching half-interested while he pounded his biscuit with a rock. A lot of us had gone to soak in the biscuits, because no one had thought to make them for the purpose of sustenance. It sounded a lot louder than it actually was, as my ears were growing hot with rage. John, will you cut that out? Merton stopped and looked confused. First at me, and then to the rock. My eyes rolled as I attempted to put my hand on Gary. Hey, mate. I know you've been through a lot. I'm just trying to... Get off me, Eddie! He spun round to face me while yelling. I felt angry, hot, spittle, splash against my face while he shouted. I don't want your help. I'm I'm fine. I just want
0: to work. I just want to stay busy. You lot can say your jokes and be pricks about it. I'm the only one in this shit carrying his weight. Gary, I... No, Eddie. You'll be dead too. You'll die, and I'll be digging holes for you just like I'm digging this shitter right now. You'll see, Eddie. You'll see.
1: I started to point at him. Now wait one goddamn minute, Garrett. But I stopped everything. Speaking, pointing, being mad. Everything. Saw the tears, and they broke me. We were mates, brothers. We had competitions to see who could chat up the most girls and who'd become a man before the other. He was, I always suspected, the better man than I was. It pissed me off, but at the same time, I thrived on the sport of it all. Now he was quietly tearing up and turning his back to me. He plunged his shovel back into the wet mud. And started digging. God is great. God is good. God is great. God is good. God is He mumbled again. God is good. The Germans continued fighting sporadically throughout the rest of the day. From top to bottom, no one knew just who they were fighting. They thought that maybe we would be sent over the trenches to join in the fight, but nervous leadership didn't want to take any chances. The telephone cables had been severed during the early morning shelling and communication was scarce. We spent most of the day waiting. I'd been passing the time with a few short naps and games of cards. Merton had been sent with others to work on trench repairs. Gary continued digging holes. I suspect my family thought that I spent every waking moment of the war fighting Fritz. The truth was, Germans firing at unknown assailants or no, we spent most of the days waiting to die. Waiting for someone to send us out to die. Waiting for bombs to drop on our heads. Waiting for our feet to roll off. Waiting for the rats to get us. The rats, The vermin were everywhere. They'd chew their way through our backpacks to get at the rations. They'd crawl under the blankets of the injured and bite the damaged flesh. We saw them gnawing on our fallen, eating the people we once called friends. The things had now grown to the size of cats and had lost the fear of man. Their numbers were at least in the thousands, but we suspected that there were millions of them scurrying about from trench to trench in search of food. At night, it was the worst. That was when we did most of the repairs, sent runners out for supplies, and fixed things like the telephone cables. I was known for having a restless spirit and was put on watch duty most nights. To tell the truth, I don't see how anyone could ever fall asleep with the sounds we heard at night. Tins of bully beef made up the bulk of our diet. We didn't have any good place for our rubbish, so the cans were thrown over the trench. At night, that's when they came. Rats, in droves, acting as custodians of the underworld. We heard them roll in the tins at night in search of food. The jingling never ceased. Gary had once said that if El had any wind chimes at all, he felt this would surely be what they'd sound like. Gary had a horrible history with the vermin. It wasn't an exaggeration to say that they were to blame for the wreck that he was. Another mate of ours, Robert, had been killed by German artillery half a year ago. Gary and I had gone to school with him and losing our friend had been difficult. I suppose what made it so hard for us was the fact that he wasn't given any proper burial. That's the sort of thing anyone deserves. Buried with family, buried with friends, even buried with strangers, it didn't matter. What did matter was that you were given a proper burial in a proper burial place. Robert, along with myriads of others, found himself buried at the bottom of a trench, covered in mud, and trampled over every day. Then the rain came. The rain didn't just turn everything into mud, it turned the battlefield into a death trap or holes which after your body would sink into no man's land was worse. We heard stories of soldiers simply disappearing into the mud, never to be seen again. That wasn't what broke Gary, but I wish it did. What ruined Gary was the fact that Robert's body had risen from his crude grave. Gary had been standing guard when the body floated up to the surface. He hadn't particularly liked that part of the front line for obvious reasons, but he never suspected and I don't think anyone suspected that he'd see his friend's mock resurrection. It was worse. There were rats on Robert. At least ten of them, biting and chewing. Gary told me once that one of the rats had been staring right at him. The others had been fighting each other for Robert's meat, but the one just stood there watching Gary. We weren't allowed to shoot the rats. It was considered criminal to waste ammunition so he had to use bayonets instead to fight off the vermin. When Gary's mind cracked, he ran towards Robert and started jabbing at the rats with his rifle. The rats had long been gone. The only thing Gary managed to damage was Robert. The corpse had been through many stages of decomposition and decay, but the rats didn't seem to mind. Gary threw his rifle aside and fell onto his knees. Men tried to assist him, but he shrugged him off. He dug holes ever since. Latrines, graves, saps. More than likely, some subconscious part of him wanted to make sure no one ever resurfaced like Robert had. But sometimes I wondered if he'd been secretly trying to dig a hole for himself. I can still hear him now. That mumbling that he does. I can hear the sounds of Gary plunging his shovel into the dirt right now. People steer clear of him. He frightens them. But if it hadn't been for the rats, or perhaps just the one that kept arrogantly staring at him, it might have been fine. The Germans had been quiet that night. There were rumors that we were going to be preparing for an attack in the morning. The communication lines had been restored, and everyone had that uneasy and restless feeling in their gut. I was on the fire step with my rifle, keeping a lookout along with Merton. Merton was offering me the same biscuit that he'd tried eating earlier. You want it? He whispered. I can't break it. I try soaking in tea. Tried soaking in water. Tried hitting it with a rock. If we were made of this stuff, we wouldn't be suffering this bloody war. I might have replied. But I heard a crack from the other side of the parapet. A motion for Merton to shut his mouth. When the sound of panicked men suddenly filled the air. The Germans were coming. I tried to scream, we were under attack. I don't think anyone heard me, but I also don't think it mattered. The others saw him too. There were so many bodies that it looked like a sea of humanity was about to flood our trench. The Germans were screaming about something. I'd seen men preparing themselves to die, but this wasn't that. This was fear. These men weren't attacking. They were running from something. The first man grappled the wire fence in his bare hands as he tried hoisting himself over the sandbags. Merton shot him in the chest, and I saw Fritz slumped down against the parapet. Another soldier tried climbing over his body. I shot him. I'd never seen soldiers so desperate before, but there was something else. The man Merton shot wasn't armed. The uniform belonging to the man I'd just shot was tattered and bloody. He had a bandage wrapped across his brow. More soldiers were trying to climb atop the men that we'd just killed. My section continued to fire at the frightened men It was a riot It was a goddamn riot We shot them And they just kept coming at us Ratten! A German shouted I caught sight of him just before the back of his head was blown out by a sniper Before he'd been killed I'd seen his eyes They were dilated in fear Ratten I thought it meant rotten at first Rotten war Rotten leadership maybe Sergeant Blythe barked. He hadn't addressed me. He heard it too. We all heard it. It was all Fritz kept screaming. The Germans were over the front line now. They attempted to grab rifles right off our soldiers. Fist fights were breaking out. Merton stabbed a man in the belly with his bayonet and cut him so wide that a watched intestine spill out. Blythe picked people off with a pistol. Off in the distance, I saw a man swinging a shovel at Fritz. My heart sank when I heard the pop and the shovel falling from his grasp. I screamed. It was starting to rain. I don't know if it'd always been raining or if God just felt it would add to the atmosphere of battle. My boots sank in the mud as I ran towards Gary. Fritz picked up his shovel and took it with him. I remember wondering why they'd kill a man for a shovel. A shovel! The chaos and war surrounded me and all I was thinking about was Gary and his goddamn shovel. Gary had fallen, and I'd almost made my way towards him when a German grabbed me and swung me round. My foot was stuck in the mud, and I lost my balance, causing me to fall into a brown, soupy mess. I reached for my rifle, but it was already in Fritz's hand. I stared into his eyes. This was it, I thought. I looked around quickly but it felt as if everything was moving much slower. My heart was pounding in my chest. I could see Merton firing upon another German. Blythe was down and being shot where he lay. The machine guns behind our firing line were gunning down the panicking soldiers that attacked us. No, I remembered. They hadn't attacked us. We attacked them. Ratten. Rats. We were all appalled by the vermin, but we weren't going to run like a bunch of cowards over them. The Germans had been firing at some unseen foe ever since they shelled us. Was that what they were fighting? Was that why they came at us with practically sticks and stones? What happened on their side of the trench? My gaze floated back towards Fritz, who must have been wondering if he should end my life. Another German shouted something at him, and he nodded. He stared at me one last time and raised the rifle. I closed my eyes and hoped that there was a place in heaven for me after all this bloody bullshit. I heard a crunch and felt intense pain before everything blacked out. I woke up in the mud. Me head hurt like hell. Fritz had broken me nose with the stock of my rifle. I saw bright dots in my vision as I tried to get up. My legs were wobbly. The trench was quiet, empty. The trenches might have been quiet at times, but never empty. There were bodies littering the ground, our men and Germans alike. I found a rifle that had been discarded in the mud. I picked it up. I noticed it still had a bayonet attached. It was covered in dried blood. It reminded me of the one Private Merton used to free the enemy's intestines. Where was Merton anyway? I remembered Blythe being shot, so he's probably one of the corpses keeping me company. But where was everybody else? Where was anybody? I was standing in an abandoned trench with nothing but the dead. Gary. My old friend. Poor and troubled Gary. He was the one that got me knocked out. He was the one I was running towards. Oh God. Please Jesus, please whoever. It wasn't about me anymore. It was about Gary. I promised myself that I'd help him make it back to his family and I meant it. I gathered my barons and started searching for him amongst the dead. About a hundred yards, while following the zigzag pattern of the trench, I found him. His body was slumped against the Parados, with a hand clutching his gut. His head was down, and I knew that he, like everyone else, had died. I'd never felt such a feeling of failure than that very moment. Christ, I thought. They killed him, and took his shovel. All he wanted to do was dig his goddamn holes. Why the hell did they have to kill him and take his shovel? My broken nose had gone snotty. My eyes were heavy and my lips were tasting salty tears. I screamed incomprehensible things at Gary. Then I apologized and screamed those same incomprehensible things to the world for causing this godforsaken war. And then I aimed those same incomprehensible curses to God for allowing this war to even happen in the first place. Why? I hissed through clenched teeth. Why? Gary's head made a single jerk. I hadn't noticed it at first. It wasn't until his head started to bob and jerk more frequently that I stopped feeling sorry for myself and wondered if I was witnessing a miracle. Had God listened? Was Gary not actually dead? I wiped my eyes and called out to my friend. But he didn't answer. Once again, his head was still. I stepped forward and called out to him again. Nothing. Using my bayonet, I reached it under Gary's chin and slowly raised his head. It was Gary's face. There was no doubt about that. And he was dead. There was no doubt about that either. But there was something else. A rat had chewed its way through his eye and was trying to fit its plump body inside his skull. I let out a scream and must have startled the little bastard. I watched as the rat's tail flailed about, slapping the edges of the dripping dark socket before it disappeared within Gary's head. I now knew what Gary had seen that brought about his madness. The little monster was inside my friend. I guided the barrel of my rifle to the hole where Gary's eye had been and pulled the trigger. The sound echoed through the empty trench. I don't know if I killed the rat. I took a few steps back and swallowed. I was about to lose my mind when I heard a chorus of chittering and squeaking. I slowly scanned the trench, not truly comprehending what I'd just heard, when suddenly I saw the eggs popping out of the bodies. Subconsciously, I'd backed up against the sandbags in fear. There were rats eating everyone. They stared at me now, watched me, noses pointing up toward the sky while they sniffed me out. Their eyes lit like fireflies in the night. There were so many of them now. Many were disinterested and went back to tearing holes in the uniforms of my brothers and chewing into their flesh. Many had dark fur, slick and wet, with what I could only guess was human blood. I raised my rifle with shaking hands. When I shot Gary, I'd gotten their attention. But what if I shot again? Would they go after me? Is this why Fritz kept screaming their name? I lowered the rifle, and decided that I had to get out of the trench. If the Germans had been running into ours, then that must have meant that the rats were there. But if the rats were now here, eating the bodies of the fallen, I wondered if that meant that the German side was now free. I started moving slowly, with my back against the sandbags. My breathing was laboured, and my heart pounded in my chest. My head was aching harder now, and it was hard to breathe through a broken nose. I cursed under me breath and started running. The scream that erupted from the rats had now sounded like one all-encompassing roar. They chased after me. Thousands of legs rapidly running and tails swaying about in the air. I ran as fast as I could, boots sinking and kicking mud as I went. I made slow progress and the rats were faster, running on top of each other, using the rats on the bottom to ferry themselves across. They started to leap upon me, and I felt their teeth sinking into my meat like scores upon scores of pen knives being driven into my shoulders and back. I screamed. They were covering my body now, and I fell to my knees, and then I fell into the ground. There was no let-up. I just kept listening to their screeching and felt the pressure of their jaws. As they gnawed on my arms and my legs, I felt the flow of blood run down me like thick, hot syrup. The pain was everywhere, and I just wanted to give up. No. There was something left inside me. A very primal urge to survive. My hands gripped my rifle, and I plunged it into the mud, just as Gary had plunged his shovel. No. I had very little energy left. I was a mess. I had no doubt that I was dying. But I wasn't going down like this. I wasted myself up from the mud with the rats still biting me. Some of them fell screeching and hissing in anger as I tried swatting them off of me. One rat that had been chewing my shoulder bit down on the hand as I tried to knock it off. It bit through my thumb, bone and all. And I watched as it ran off with it. I stared, dumbfounded at the nub, crying out in pain and terror. Holding my bleeding hand, I took off towards the front line, then jumped up on the firing step. It felt like moments earlier when the Germans were desperately trying to escape to our side of the trench. Now I was on my way to theirs. The wire tangle and sandbags were already covered with a mountain of German bodies. They pulled the defences down with their numbers and desperation. I climbed up the small wall of corpses and rolled down into no-man's land. I could hear the rats following me. I let out an exasperated outcry. Why were these rats so determined to kill me? I'd hunted my fair share of rats for sport in the trenches, but I don't think they wanted revenge. It was like they just lost their minds. Or maybe it was punishment. God had sent plagues to deal with mankind before. Maybe this was his way to end the war. I was in terrible pain. The air was causing the innumerable wounds on me limbs and back to ache. My mind was growing cloudy, and I knew that I was close to losing consciousness. I don't know what I hoped to find on the other side. Survivors? The way out? Maybe it was just instinct that ran me across the muddy plains. I panted as I rushed my way past the skeletal remains of trees and craters that marked the land. A thick fog now covered the ground. It revealed more bodies enveloped in its ethereal grasp. These were the Germans that didn't make it to our trench. Their rifles were abandoned on the ground along with packs of rations. There were plenty of bodies for the rats to have chosen for food. They weren't hungry either, I thought, as I made it towards the enemy's front line. Old fears brought me stomach up to my throat. As I expected snipers to shoot me dead where I stood. It was a better alternative, I thought, than to be eaten by those monsters. No one fired at me. No one called out to me or alerted others of my presence. I'd made it onto the German side of the war, and there wasn't a single soldier in my way. I stopped for a moment as I walked through their trench what I saw caused my skin to turn white. There were piles of burning corpses, both of rats and men. The smell of death and decay had been something we'd grown accustomed to in the war. But this was overpowering. Hundreds of bodies were piled up and burning. The number of rats in those piles was astronomical. Hold up in what felt like fortresses, with better dugouts and actual electricity, the Germans put up with the war, not against man, but against rats. A loud laugh that sounded more like madness than mirth. <laughs> they were all gone now. They'd abandoned everything. It was just me. I continued my walk, following the pattern of the trench when I suddenly realized that there were piles of burning corpses everywhere. They'd been trying to frighten off the rats, I thought. It didn't work. Rifles had been dropped haphazardly on the ground. They'd run out of ammunition too. In the end, they just ran. They couldn't run back. They had to run forwards. Take their chances with us. I wondered if they made it. Hell, I wondered if we made it. I was tired now, and cold. I wanted to stand by the fire and warm myself for a spell. I needed a rest. But when I'd look into those fires and see human remains, I just couldn't bring myself to it. Fritz didn't deserve this any more than we did. I laughed again. (laughs) I realised something very strange. This whole war was being fought as one glorious stalemate. And yet, here I was, standing on German soil. My laughter grew louder. Lunacy. I had won the war. Private Edward Kinsley. Oh, it was glorious. Artillery couldn't do it. Planes couldn't do it. We heard the Americans were joining the fight. Well, even they couldn't do it now. No one but me. If I had a flag, I would have stuffed it into the mud and sat on a pile of sandbags as if it were a throne for king and country me Maybe the rats killed everyone, everywhere. Maybe I was the only goddamn person still alive in the entire world. I heard screeching, hissing, scratching and gnashing. I unslung the rifle on my shoulder. ...and stood on the pile of sandbags. My friends were back. I thought they'd come to claim what was theirs. Fine, I decided. Let them come. Let's settle this. What came next... ...was something I don't think any human being has ever seen in all history. The rats slid down the wall of the trench in what I could only describe as an army. It looked like a waterfall. Almost beautiful and how that sleek, greasy fur oozed down like water. I couldn't distinguish one rat from the other. There had to have been millions of them. They surrounded me. Their eyes glowed, reflecting the moonlit sky. I picked one and threw my rifle at it while they stared at me, chittered at me, raised their snouts into the air and sniffed me, sniffed the blood that oozed from every scratch and bite that they'd inflicted upon me. I wanted to clear my thoughts, but my mind flashed back to a memory that I'd tried to erase since this morning. The sign from Blackrod.
0: Come into the ranks and fight for your king and country!
1: I shouted to the rats.
0: Don't stay in the crowd and stare!
1: The rats continued to stare with their moving snouts and chittering noises. They waited and stared. I clicked my tongue and fired a round into the rat I'd picked out. It fell dead, and the army of rats sprang to life. The Great War was over, I thought, as I watched the writhing mass of death encroach upon me. Now enters the true war to end all wars. World War Rat.
0: Great War, written by Brian Black. You can follow Brian on Twitter at Darth Chair. The Great War was performed by Graham Rowett and Alastair Mackey. You can follow Graham on Twitter at Graham NY, you know, for New York. And you can follow Alastair on Twitter at Alistair Mackey, The Singing Woman, was performed by Christina Wilson. You can follow her on Twitter at riding that Wave. R-I-D-I-N underscore T-H-A-T underscore W-A-V-E. Editing, sound design, and audio production was done by me, Jason Wilson I do have a Twitter account Feel free to follow me At Audio Torment And the new member to the crew Who helped with the last half of the story The wonderful Ambient score Was produced By John Scherf Feel free to follow him At J.M. Scherf Music Also Let me mention behind the door join us for an inside look at what goes into each episode including interviews with the authors and performers of each story you can join us live on our YouTube channel the Saturday or Sunday after each story airs or just watch for it in your podcast feed again that is behind the door thanks again for listening to season 1 of Episode 1 of The Grave Rooms. If you would like to hear this without intros and fillers, feel free to stop over to Patreon.com, become a patron, and, yeah, just enjoy the stories. Otherwise, see you in two weeks.